Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, while you're turning there, I'll tell you about a man and his wife and his mother-in-law went to Jerusalem on vacation. While they were there, a tragic thing happened. A mother-in-law got deathly sick and died. So they were trying to make arrangements to get her back in the funeral home. The undertaker said, well, sir, you can send her back to the States, but it costs $5,000 just to transport her there. That doesn't count any in the funeral there. Or you can bury her here in Jerusalem for $150. And he thought about it a minute. He said, we'll, we'll have her shipped back. And he didn't understand. He said, sir, do you understand that it's going to be, take $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home. It'd be wonderful to be buried here in Jerusalem. It only cost $150. He said, well, long ago, a man died here and was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. (laughs) I can't take that chance. (laughs) After the 8 o'clock service, a 90-year-old man came up to me. This is true. He said, I want you to know that back in 1945, I met my wife, on a Friday, and not the following, but a week later on Sunday, we got married. It was April the 1st, and it was Easter. And he said, it's happened one other time before today. So he said, we were married 58 years, and anyway, he was talking about today would have been his anniversary date if his wife was still alive. But, But I got to thinking about being April 1st and what Psalm 53 One says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So this is one day when all those people who don't believe in God and all the Christians can have a good day because it's Resurrection Sunday for us and it's April Fool's Day for those who don't believe in God. (laughs) Now, if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 23, I don't mean any offense. If you get offended, my goodness, that's the truth. If you don't believe in God, this is what the word of God says. Luke chapter 23, would you stand while I read beginning in verse 50? Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hone out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales or nonsense, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, please change hearts and lives by bringing people to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Let me share with you for a few minutes about the emptiness of Easter. I'm not talking about something negative because actually this emptiness contains some wonderful promises we're going to look at. So when we think about the empty things at Easter, we start with the empty cross. You'll notice over our baptistry, a wooden cross, but it's vacant. It's empty. Why? Because one person died on that cross for our sins, and no one else ever needs to die on that cross again. It's interesting when you read some of the accounts of what people do today to try to get rid of their sin. Several years ago, I read an account of some Filipinos who actually were having themselves nailed to the cross. So I looked it up, and sure enough, it's been going on for quite a while. There's a group of them, even now. They, every year they have this crucifixion scene, and there'll be a half a dozen of them to a dozen of them that will actually have themselves nailed to a cross. They begin to ask them about them, and they'll say, well, one man, for example, said two years ago, I said it would be the last time I'd do it. He'd been doing it for 27 years. But every time I say that, my wife gets sick. I guess God wants me to continue this sacrifice as a lifetime now. And then he picks up a 110-pound cross and he goes up to the crucifixion scene. I want to tell you something, folks. You don't need to be nailed to a cross. That is not how God is going to forgive you of your sin. Jesus Christ came and said, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And the promise of the empty cross is, is that the price has been paid. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, when he was dying on the cross, he wasn't talking about his life dying. Obviously, he was about to die physically, but that's not what he meant. It is finished, and he died. He's talking about the plan of redemption that began back in the Garden of Eden when man sinned, and God began to save mankind by sending Jesus, who came and died for our sin. He said that the plan of redemption is finished. Jesus said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus Christ came for a reason. He came to die for our sins. The night before he was crucified, he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus had to die in order for our price to be paid. Now, I know you've heard this before, but I want you to think about it. 
Think about how many people today try to appease or atone for or pay for their wrongdoing by giving things to their God, whoever that is. All around this world, people sacrifice things and they give things and they go through rituals and they try to to do good and they try to earn their way and so forth, trying to provide payment for their sin. God, on the other hand, sent payment for our sins that would appease and and be be a propitiation for our sins to him. Let me read it to you. Listen to Luke, uh, excuse me, Romans 3.23 and following. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. There's a payment that had to be made. What was the payment? Death. Blood was shed for sins. The wages of sin is death. God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And death entered the world because of us. And death had to be paid in order that a just and holy God's righteousness would be taken care of. And so what did God do? God sent his own payment. He sent the one, that only one that could die for you and me. And that was Jesus because he was sinless tempted in all points like us, but died on that cross. And when he died on that cross, God put your sin and my sin there and the atonement was made and he cried out, it is finished. Salvation's plan is finished. The payment's been made and God paid it for you. You you could never do that on your own. But isn't it amazing how many people today try to get God on their side by having themselves nailed to a cross or going through some other kind of barbaric incident. You can check it out for yourself. I will warn you, there are some graphic pictures there that shows them nailing people to the cross. But justice was also made because now it says, because of that, you know what God does? He, he's the justifier. He justifies you and me when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, to be justified is a legal term that means that when you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Christ, you believe in him, God gives you the righteousness of Jesus. He immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus. It's shown the baptistry is an immersion it, it looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ. When you saw Ty baptized, it's, it's, that didn't wash away her sin. Jesus washed away her sin. She was showing what had happened, but she was immersed in the righteousness of Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. That, there's nothing holy about that water. That water came out, that's Lubbock water. <laughs> it does not save you. But it was a picture of what's happened in the life of a believer. God immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus and he justifies you. 
Here's an easy way to remember. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. We can talk like that in Texas. Just if I'd never sinned. But that's what it means because the propitiation, the payment has been made for you and me. The empty cross is one of the glorious promises of Easter. It means the price has been paid. And then, and then the next thing, you already know this one, the empty tomb. One word, one word makes the difference between Christians and the rest of the world. Only one word. Resurrection. Resurrection. You see, you find Joseph of Arimathea came looking, for, came asking for the body of Jesus. He was a believer. He was obviously a pretty wealthy man, or he would have had a tomb. He wouldn't have had a tomb that had been carved out of rock. But Joseph came and asked for the body of Jesus and put Jesus in that tomb. Me and my warped imagination. Can you imagine Joseph of Arimathea being uh, interviewed by? one of the media outlets on television after the, after the resurrection. It might go something like this. Hey, Joseph, that was such a beautiful, costly, hand-honed tomb. Why did you give it to somebody else to be buried in? Joseph would have said, he just needed it for the weekend. <laughs> now, for those of you who just woke up, that's not in the Bible. That's a hypothetical situation. And then in, in, in chapter 24, verse one, it says that he begins, the women go to the tomb and they, and they come back and tell the, tell the disciples who don't believe them. And some of the disciples go and they see the tomb. They found the stone rolled away and Jesus's body was not there. The tomb was empty because death could not hold him. Roger Kipling wrote a book that called the jungle book you know they've made some cartoon movies out of it and things in the jungle book there's a there's a, a little boy's been raised by right being raised by animals and i think his name is mowgli and and so he's called the man cub and so mowgli asked the animals what's the most feared thing in the jungle and one of them says well when two animals meet on a narrow path the animal that does not step aside for anyone that's the most feared thing in the jungle. One of them said it's an elephant. Elephant's big. He didn't step aside. Another animal will step aside and let the elephant pass. Someone else said, no, it's the lion. The lion's the king of the jungle, and he's got fierce teeth and claws, and he didn't step aside for anybody. And then Mowgli comes up to the wise old owl, and the owl says, the most feared thing in the jungle is death. It steps aside for no one. And we find that statement to be so true because regardless of how physically strong or fit you are, regardless of how financially rich or, or popular or overwhelmingly powerful you are, death is an absolute truth for all of us. No one is exempt. My family has a history of death in my family. It's hereditary. <laughs> You're going to die too. Your family has a history of death and your family, doesn't it? Hebrews 9.27 says all of us are going to die. All of us are going to die and after that, the judgment. It's inevitable. But inside, we know that's just wrong. You ever wonder why up here, 
You feel young and then you look in the mirror and you know you're not young anymore. It's because you were made for eternity. You're going to exist eternally. And we weren't supposed to die. And we messed it up. We sinned. And God said, I'm not going to let you live this way forever. So he cast them out of the garden so they couldn't eat of the tree of life. He said, death was not supposed to be there. But we're all going to die because of that sin and because of our sin. But one finally came. One finally came that even death had to step aside for. His name is Jesus. See, he's God. He's sinless. And even though we always step aside and death gets its way, this time death stepped aside. The empty tomb is about the power of God to overcome death. The empty tomb is God's promise that physical death is not the end. Aren't you glad to know that when you die physically, you're not going to be dead? Your body will be dead. You'll still be alive. Believe it or not, you're going to live eternally. You get to decide where you're going to live eternally because you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven or you'll spend eternity without God in a place called the second death. One afternoon, a, a teacher of, a, of an elementary class gave each of her students those little plastic eggs that open up. He gave one of them to each one of them and said, go out on the playground and find a sign of life. So they went out and they were gone about 15 or 20 minutes and they came back in. One little girl had a butterfly. One little boy had an ant and there was another little bug. Somebody had a flower. Somebody had a branch and a leaf and a twig of grass. They opened one egg. It was completely empty. Everybody knew whose egg that was because there was one special needs little boy who had Down syndrome and sure enough, that was his egg. Some of the kids began to laugh at him and the teacher said, why had you not put any, why did you not put anything that shows signs of life in your egg? And he said quietly, because the tomb was empty. What a profound truth that boy knew. The tomb was empty. You've all seen a fresh grave at the cemetery. You see a, a hole and then a mound of dirt. Well, they've taken that dirt out of that hole. Well, one little five-year-old boy was riding with his dad, and they were going by the cemetery right out next to the street. There was a fresh grave that had been dug, and he looked over and saw that big mound of dirt and that big hole in the ground, and he said, Hey, Dad, look, one of them got out. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He got out. Death couldn't hold him. All but four of the religions in the world are based on philosophical ideas or propositions. But the four major religions in the world are based on a person. Judaism, Abraham died in 1900 BC. Buddhism, it says in 483 BC, the Buddhist writings say that Buddha died with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. The idea of Buddhism is that you turn into the ultimate nothingness, such hope. And then in June 6 of 632 AD, the 7th century AD, I want you to understand, this was late in time, Muhammad died. 
33 AD, Jesus died, came back to life and appeared to over 500 people. You ask any attorney who actually studies the, the truth there, it would stand up in court. The evidence is there. Death didn't step aside for Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or anyone else. It stepped aside for Jesus. Their religious teachings had an impact on a lot of people around the world, but they were never seen alive again. In fact, you go to their tombs, they're still in there. Stan Jantz said, to this day, hundreds of millions of people put their faith in Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius, but they all died centuries ago. Not one of them rose from the dead, not even claimed that they would come back from the dead. Of all the great spiritual leaders who walked the earth, Jesus is the only one who died and rose again from the dead. An African Muslim became a Christian and some of his friends said, why? Why did you forsake uh, Mohammed and follow Jesus? And here's what he said. It's like this. So it's like when you're walking down a road and you come to a fork in the road and you don't know which way to go and there are two men there, a dead one and a live one. Which one are you going to follow? Which one are you going to ask which way to go? Well, you need to understand that the empty tomb is what we stand for. The empty cross is a promise. Michelangelo, you know, the guy who wrote, not wrote, he painted so many Renaissance paintings that are so popular and so valuable. Here's what he said. He said, guys, and I quote him, why do you fill up gallery after gallery, room after room, cathedral after cathedral with pictures of Jesus in weakness? Of, of Jesus on the cross, of Jesus hanging dead as if that's the end as if the curtain had come down, leaving us with desperation and despair. That event only lasted a few short hours, but for all eternity, Jesus is alive. He reigns and he triumphs. The empty tombs means that you and I are going to be resurrected also. 1 Corinthians 15 says that because Jesus rose again, you and I don't have to be afraid when, when we die because we're going to be resurrected also. There's no sting in death. There's no fear. We don't know the process it's going to take for us to die, but I can tell you this. 1 Corinthians 15 says there's no sting there anymore, and all death does for you when you die in Jesus is run an escort service home. Takes you into the presence of the Lord. The empty cross, the empty tomb. That's full salvation right there. You can't have one without the other. But there's another emptiness I want you to see, the empty grave clothes. I'm not going to read it, but in verse chapter 24, verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12, you, you find the ladies went back and told the disciples they didn't believe it. Peter ran down there and looked in, and he saw the grave clothes all folded up. Why in the world do you think he did that? I believe Jesus did it on purpose to show that he was alive. Now, I'm not going to take the time to talk to you about the Roman custodian, all the guards that are in front of the tomb. A lot of people think it was just a couple of men with spears and miniskirts on with a mohawk helmet. That wasn't what was in front of that tomb. It was a Roman custodian, anywhere from six to 20 men, the Green Berets, the SEAL team, the special ops guys. These are those trolley trained guys guarding that tomb. So if you get through them and then you get that stone out of the way, are you going to run in there and unwrap the body of Jesus and fold up all the clothes and steal the body? No. 
It showed that Jesus is alive. The empty grave clothes are a proof that he was alive. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I'm coming back. I've come to give you life. The empty burial clothes means Jesus is alive. He's not among the dead. He's among the living. I think he did it on purpose. I think he let us know, hey, I'm alive and well. He folded up the clothes, laid them on that uh, in that tomb. There's a fourth image. I just mentioned Peter ran to the tomb in verse 12. And it says, when he looked in, he saw, and then he left. He was puzzled. I think there are a lot of empty lives. You think about the 11 apostles. Can you imagine how they felt? Max Lucado describes the scene. He says, you look around the room, you wouldn't take them for a bunch who were about to put the kettle of history on high boil. They're uneducated, confused, calloused hands, heavy accents, few social graces, limited knowledge of the world, no money, undefined leadership, and on and on. No, as you look at that motley crew, you wouldn't wager too many paychecks on their future. But something happens to a man when he witnesses someone who's risen from the dead. Folks, can you imagine how devastated Peter was? He had denied Jesus. He'd made all kinds of promises to him. Just like people today make all kinds of promises. He didn't keep any of them. A lot of people's lives today are empty. Just look around you at all the emptiness that you see. You don't have to look far. And there's a reason that people are empty. Because they don't have the Lord. Little Molly, six year old, six years old. Mom's cooking lunch. Molly comes in and said, Mom, my stomach hurts. Her mom said, Molly, it's because you haven't eaten anything. It's empty. Your stomach's empty. You haven't eaten anything. You need to put something in it. That evening, pastor from the church came by for just a brief visit. He'd been talking to them for a few minutes. And in the course of the conversation, he had said, you know, how his head had been hurting all day. <laughs> Molly piped up, says, you feel better if you had something in it. <laughs> Teacher was trying to explain circulation of the blood system in the body. And she was telling her class, trying to make it matter clearer. She said, now class, if I stood on my head, the blood, as you know, would run into it and I would turn red in the face. Yes, the class said, that's... That's, then why is it that while I'm standing upright in the ordinary position, the blood doesn't run into my feet? One little boy says, because your feet ain't empty. <laughs> Some of y'all are empty right now. You didn't even get that, did you? <laughs> you know why people's lives are empty? Let me tell you why. Because... First of all, we were created in the image of God. You know that. We, there are three parts to us. There's the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're, we're three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Second Peter tells us this. So we're not an animal. We didn't evolve from an animal. An animal does not have a spirit. An animal has a body. And I guess technically what I'm calling a soul, it has, because an animal has a mind, it has emotions, and it has a will. It doesn't have a spirit. So in the garden, man had the relationship with God. Everything was perfect. Man would commune with God. 
Because God is spirit. And then when man sinned, man immediately died in his spirit. Immediately, he hid himself from God. He, he went and hid himself. He knew. And as a result of that, he began to die in his mind, emotions, and will. And look at how, look how wonderful mankind is today apart from God. Don't we think clearly now? Don't we, as a society? Now, I'm not talking about Christians. Don't, don't we just have things that are just common sense will tell you is the norm anymore? Now, you see how demented and how far away from God people go when they don't have God in their life. And then eventually, they died in their body because God kicked them out of the garden and said, I'm not going to leave you in this state to live forever and eat of the tree of life forever. And now, Jesus completely reversed that. A lot of people get the cart before the horse. They think they have to get their life all right before God will save them. But, but really, when you repent of your sins and Christ comes into your life, God's spirit fills the God-shaped vacuum in your life that only he will fit there. His spirit will fit in your life. And when he does, he begins to change your thinking. He begins to change your outlook, your emotions, your will. It's amazing what he does. You're a work in progress. You're still a sinner saved by grace. You're not perfect, but you're a work in progress. And eventually, he's going to give us a new body. Praise God. Do you hate to spend eternity in this one? But so many people are empty because they've never received Christ. Now, you can try to stuff religion in that vacuum. It just makes you miserable. Look at all the religious people today blowing themselves up. Yeah, they're really, they're really peaceful, aren't they? And look at all the people that try to push good works and, and religion. And see, a lot of people think, well, if I just cram church in there. I want to tell you something. Only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus can fill the void. Period. Now, the last thing I want you to see, the emptiness that's full of promise. That sounds strange, doesn't it? But doesn't the world make you a lot of promises? World tells you if you make more money, you're going to be happy. World tells you if you're going to be, you'll be famous. The world tells you if you'll indulge in this and that and this and do this and do that and all that, you're going to be happy. And it always winds up empty. That's why so many people who seem to be um, wealthy or they seem to have have it made as the world looks at them they wind up so miserable they wind up so empty they wind up on drugs and they do they're just looking for it but all this emptiness the empty cross the empty tomb the empty grave clothes tells us there's promise and when you come to Jesus i promise you your life will never be the same Never be the same. When Mike was three, Michael was three years old, he listened attentively to the Sunday morning sermon. And afterward, he was asked about what he learned, and here's what he told his parents riding in the car. He said, Jesus died so that we could have everlasting life. <laughs> That's not bad theology. I want to ask you today, you don't have to join our church. 
we're, you know what? As much as I want you to love this church, that's not what's going to change your life. Joining Southcrest won't change your life, but giving your life to Jesus will by faith. If you've never met Christ, we're not trying to make a bad out of you. We're not trying to get you to join it. There's no hidden agenda here, folks. We're not after your money. We're not, we're not, we want you to know Christ. I don't know how to make it any simpler to you. I have no, there's no hidden agenda here. Come to Christ. How do you do that? You turn from your sin. First, you've got to admit it. Hardest thing for a man to do, admit that he's a sinner separated from God because of our pride. You come to God from your sin, repentance. You see, you don't just say, I'm sorry. You turn from your sin. Say, Lord, I gotta change some stuff. I gotta change my attitude, my mind. I've given you my life. I'm coming to you and I ask you to forgive me. He will. And, and Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Two kinds of believe. Let's go out to the airport. I pointed an airplane and I say, do you believe that plane will fly? Most everyone in this room would say yes. And I say, okay, let's go get on that airplane and fly. Now, do you believe it'll fly? You're gonna say, depends on who the pilot is. Depends if the mechanics have taken care of it. Depends if it has fuel in it. But you put your faith in that airplane when you get on it. You believe that they know where they're going and they know how to fly this thing and you trust your life. That's how you come to Jesus. You don't just believe up here, but you go about 16 inches further and you say, Lord, I trust you with my life. Here it is. And you can do that today. You can. You can go from April Fool's Day to Resurrection Day. Right now, would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.